Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome, friends and fiends, to a new episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. Today is part two of our Pamela Double D shot. This is, of course, two Pamela Anderson movies. We talked last week about 1996's Barb Wire, taken from the uh, Charles Warner comic book and of the same name. So we liked that film. It was fun, uh, not heavy hitting or anything, but engaging enough. This week we have uh, Snapdragon from 1993, which is billed as an erotic thriller. I think that's probably accurate. And it is the it is credited as the first film role of Pamela Anderson. That's not totally true. It is the first um, lead film role. She was uh, in a a background uncredited character before that uh so you know take take that take that as you will um that would be the taking of beverly hills from 1991 but this is the first time that she actually got a chance to act and uh the movie did okay i believe it was direct to video i I don't think this film hit theaters but i could be wrong Uh, if it was it was short or limited engagement the movie as I as always, there's spoilers ahead. So if you're interested in watching this movie, it's kind of a sexy TV vibe movie from from 1993, uh, and you don't want any spoilers on the plot. I don't really think it's going to kill you to know them, but don't worry about it. Put this on pause. Go watch the movie. Come back. It's actually free to watch on Tubi, T-U-B-I dot com right now. So you can check this out, and it's also available uh, from MDV Distribution on um, on Blu-ray, actually. Is it? Yep, it is MVD. Okay, so before we get started, as you, listeners might be able to tell, uh, my ADD medication is not on today, so I am going to be extra spazzy. That's all right. Uh, I'm I'm taped to the chair, so I can't move away from the mic, so everything should be good. But if you hear me stumble, that's why. So with us today is me, Nate Wyckoff, your host, film critic, and comedian, and I also have Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Doing good, Nate. How are you doing other than the uh, medication fun? My brain is like uh, a bunch of ping pong balls in a dryer. It is just everywhere. Uh, but I'm excited to talk about Snapdragon. How are you, Jeff? Jeffrey uh, Tucker. I am also not taking speed. 
Well, um, let me tell you something. Um, it's probably, I don't know. I don't know if it would have been easier or harder to watch this uh, with the appropriate medication. But we, we've got, we also have some comments, which I'll bring up later from uh, regular contributor Mandy Longley, who couldn't join us today, but she did watch the film and had some very specific feedback regarding it. All right. Here's the plot. Um, and there is any erotic thriller, uh, especially from the 90s, in general, they have a very specific format, right? You have sort of the jazzy, sexy, um, noir-esque music all the time. You have uh, lots of beautiful people, like the kind of people that have been touched by an angel, so to speak. They don't, they don't, they don't look real in a way, like very uh, Days of Our Lives sort of soap opera. And you have a a twist. And then, or you have sort of a climax resolution and then you have a twist. So you really have two twists because as a thriller, they always have these two little twists. And usually the second twist does not work if you play it all the way through. Uh, if you try and consider it, it's supposed to shock you and then end and then you're not supposed to think about it. And if you think about it, it doesn't usually work. This follows almost all of those to a T. It's also very 90s in that they call Asian people, specifically Chinese people, uh, Oriental all the time. And they have an Asian woman uh, refer to Caucasian people as Occidental. So we know that this is of an era. And uh, so when we talk about it, if, if those words come out, it is because they were used directly in the film. Uh, but I think we can avoid them all together today because it is weird to hear those uh, as, as people like to say now when explaining why we shouldn't use the term Oriental Rugs are oriental, people come from uh, Asia or are people, I don't know, whatever, you know, just, just normal things to talk about. Uh, don't use the word oriental for people, it is considered rude. Occidental is just weird, most people won't know what you're talking about. I mean, you can't hurt our feelings as white people because we control everything, so uh, you can call me whatever the hell you want. Now, <clears throat> the plot is that it opens with a uh, a, fa a white family being murdered in the woods by some Asian people and their young daughter, we assume the daughter, being uh, taken to a sex, we assume it's sex, obviously, uh, but it's not shown, but a slavery ring where she is sold. And then we jump to contemporary time where we see uh, Pamela Anderson having uh, on top relations with a man and then she does what appears to be kissing his neck at which point he actually uh, starts to bleed and dies and let me tell you something i actually think there this this is going to be controversial in this podcast i think that there's some really good actors in this but i will i will 100 get behind the fact that the opening of this movie the first death scene particularly has one of the worst acting moments I think I've ever seen on on camera. And I mean, I've watched Birdemic, Shock and Awe, Shock and Terror so many times, yet this was truly uh, banana sandwich bad acting. Um, I, I'm going to call out the gentleman. It's Tom Bosco, who has been in so many things, uh, done really well, lots of, lots of movies. Um, okay, three movies. Crystal Force from 92, which is hilarious, and T-Force from 94, which is just not that good but he does this turn when he's supposed to die towards the camera uh and then just instant die face like just wise wide open and just it's the most like it's like when you pull a fish out of water and they do that like mouth open like because they can't breathe that's the moment uh it, it doesn't work it doesn't work also it's the quickest death from essentially a shaving wound i've ever seen in my entire life um 
But anyway, we th then understand that there's a woman who is blonde who is murdering men uh, while having sex with them. And she leaves a little mark in blood on the mirror. Turns out it's a serial killer. And we have uh, two sort of a, a pair, a cop and her uh, non-exclusive lover, who is a police psychiatrist and a profiler who doesn't want to profile anymore. He just wants to be a cop psych, psych guy. And uh, we I don't, don't think know he why. wants to work anymore. Period. Yeah, I don't. Well, I'm. I don't know that he. I don't know that he does. Um, <laughs> I don't know that he does. We see him in his office with one one actual client who just tells him that he shouldn't have to go in there just because he shot a guy. Uh, so I mean, it's pretty accurate, I think. Uh, policing probably. So, yeah. So anyway, this this pair. Uh, the the cop who's trying to make her way to homicide, this is her big break, is convinced this is a serial killer case. Not everyone is. And her her partner that doesn't really want to be her partner, who is also her lover, uh, played by Steve Bauer, is sort of brought in because she's like, you're the best profiler and you're my you're my secret weapon. Now, as I said, Steve Stephen Bauer is is the male lead here. Now, I super love Stephen Bauer. Uh, not just because I think he's got some good acting chops, but because he is one of those uh, people who changed their name dramatically to to work in American cinema. His his birth name was Esteban Ernesto Echavarria Sampson. Uh, he's Cuban. And Stephen Bauer is perhaps the most whitey white McWhite white name on the planet. And I didn't know for many decades that that was not his birth name. But I really... I got to hand it to someone who said, screw this. I'm going to act. Uh, they're not going to give me a role in anything other than off-Broadway West Side Story if I uh, go with my birth name. So I am Stephen Bauer. It's like you could have he at that and he succeeded at it. So you, he could have probably just said he was a Baldwin brother and they would have gone with it. Uh, but he went with Stephen Bauer. He is, as Greg said, it's like he doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to do any of his job anymore. Uh, and then we have Chelsea Field, who plays uh, Detective Peckham, his his lover. It seems like it's going to be her movie. And then we realize it's actually not her movie. She's We don't see her really do anything. We're told she's a good cop, but we don't see her do anything. Uh, we see, essentially, we follow Stephen Bauer's character through the whole movie, where he ends up falling in love with this Jane Doe, meaning she's lost her memory and, and the state is trying to help her get her some sort of life together is Pamela Anderson. He discovers that she was probably the victim of sex slavery, hence a Snapdragon tattoo on her hip, hence the sort of vaguely Snapdragon-esque drawing on the window or the mirrors of the murder scene. So anyway, he falls in love with her and then is like, well, it probably isn't her, right? And he spends basically the movie trying to solve the murders just so he can clear her name, even though nobody but him knows that it could be her. Uh, he just he realizes she does she did do it he thinks he's like okay it was a split personality because she's so sweet and this other part she doesn't know her past it's clearly traumatic she's like cut off that part of her life and it's acting independently and going and murdering people with this thing they call the dragon's tongue which is totally fictional as far as i can tell uh it's a blade that's under the tongue and was used by um chinese concubines to assassinate their owners enemies etc well turns out he's not T totally right there is no split personality she actually has a twin sister and the twin sister has been bumping people off to get close to her sister because she doesn't want her to leave she wants that unit to stay together 
Uh, and then we get the extra twist ending, which actually, the more I was thinking about it today, I actually kind of like. At first, I was like, duh, whatever. Uh, spoiler alert, one of the sisters, the evil one, presumably gets shot. And then we see the good sister back in her humdrum apartment. And it's revealed that she also has one of the blade weapons uh, in, in her medicine cabinet. Here's the thing. At first, I was like, this is just a twist that doesn't work because it's either saying, well, she's the bad one, right? But that doesn't work because she she clearly is familiar with this apartment and it, it was the other sister's apartment and she doesn't have to put the blade there. It's already there, meaning it was probably there the whole time. Okay, so it is the good sister and she has a blade. That actually makes more sense because what it means is, is that half of the killings were her and the other half were her sister which makes more sense with the plot because some of the people that were killed were clearly related to the sex trade that presumably led to her uh her her abuse and then the other half were people that were nice to her and helped her along her way which wouldn't have made sense right which is why the evil sister killed them to prevent her other sister from leaving and the good sister killed the bad guys who were involved in the sex trade uh spoiler alert yes one is uh, in the church. <laughs> big surprise. Okay, so that's the big twist. I actually think it works. Uh, but there are, I'm going to read before we dive into what everybody thinks. I'm going to read what Mandy told us about this movie midweek. Um, it was very specific. Honestly, I don't have more notes on this one. Five out of five barf emojis, which she actually put in the chat. Who the F gives a girl at a flower shop a flower from the flower shop that they haven't purchased and thinks it's cute? Do not recommend. Ending was dumb. Felt like they pulled it from a hat full of cliches. Pam did a good job. This, I think, is probably a pretty good summary for a lot of people. Uh, Pamela Anderson, I think, did do a great job. Actually, I was kind of blown away. This was her first big acting role in a film. She'd been in a couple of bit parts for TV, uh, but this was her first role. And she does play this sort of, not coy, but very guarded, quiet. She plays an abuse victim is what it feels like. Um, you know, like uh, just very low energy. And she then in the, the brief period where we see her other sister, we do see the more barbed wire kick-ass Pam. And I think that it was, that she did well. Uh, with what she was handed script wise i also it's quite stunning to see her without her trademark hardcore black eyeliner makeup um she's very young in this i believe she's like 26 uh and it's she looks young she could play a child uh and in some scenes uh, and of course yes she does get uh partially nude a couple of times this is actually fairly tame on the erotic thriller scale um you know she's topless um one a few times but it's never it never really feels particularly gratuitous i'll also say that chelsea field must have a great agent at the, or did at this time because she has several sex scenes where she is essentially fully clothed uh so you know that's usually a sign that somebody had a little more bargaining bargaining power at the table there are other cast members that that will be recognizable to regular film viewers john f donahue um and who, who just plays kind of a side character there is uh, there are actually some hong kong actors in here as well that people might recognize but they don't really get the time of day they're not they're just to show that 
Pam's character has been um, sex trafficked. Uh, Matt McCoy plays Bernie, which is the doctor who initially treats Pam's character. Felicity is what they call her. Pam's character when she's found as a Jane Doe. I actually, he's a good actor. He's been in many things. I don't think he does a good job in this movie. I think he stands out. Um, he sounds very, he sounds very from the script next to Stephen Bauer, who I think sounds extremely natural, almost overly familiar sometimes. Uh, but, you know, Matt McCoy, he does a serviceable job. I just think he stands out uh, in a negative light among the cast here. Uh, but he's been he you know he's in he's been in Jack Ryan the the recent Amazon Prime series um, Seinfeld he was in a couple episodes so he's been all over the place. That's about it for this one. Uh, I will say that when you look at the actual credits roll for this movie, you get so many people that sound like they are straight up pseudonyms. Uh, they're actually not, which is kind of wild. Uh, it's directed by Worth Keeter who has done so many projects specifically for TV. Uh, I think most people would be shocked to learn that his, he's a very prolific Power Rangers director. Uh, he has directed 30 gajillion Power Rangers episodes, all the way from the original uh, 94 series, all the way up through, I think, like 2012 is his most recent one. He directed the Power Rangers Monster Bash Halloween special, which was a video release all over the place. Uh, it kind of makes sense when you think of these genre films that that they would jump to directing uh, sort of the campy kids vibe movies. Uh, but this movie is it, it, the cover alone, which is Pam like with her legs crossed with people behind her and she's in like a partially revealing cover up. It just tells you everything you need to know about this movie. It is 90s as hell, even more so than barbed wire, I would hazard. It's the kind of thing you would catch on Cinemax like before it turned into Skinemax at like midnight, one o'clock, you know. Uh, it's just tantalizing-ish, uh, rated R-ish. You could edit it down for TNT if you really wanted to or USA Network. Maybe give it USA vibe here. Uh, it feels like a TV movie, uh, production-wise. There's some interesting shots. Everything is crisp. You can see everything. You can hear everything. But that's kind of about it. You don't get a whole lot of extreme creative choices, which we did see with barbed wire. Now I'm going to jump to Greg. Greg, what was your expectation of Snapdragon? And what did you get once you saw it? I mean, you know, I was kind of expecting a little bit of um, barbed wire, to be honest. I was expecting it to be, a, you know, a little more wild, a little more... Mm -hmm. um, edgy um at least trying things even if it was <laughs> yeah. an absolute nosedive of choice which this kind of was because it was just so bland um mm -hmm. i mean i got a movie that you know I, I i had texted the group chat like hey i'm 30 minutes in i still have no idea what the fuck's going on um i'm gonna restart the movie <laughs> and so i mm -hmm. i started back over i wasn't probably wasn't paying much attention i should have and wrapped it up and was still just kind of like okay like can't tell you a single thing about the movie. There were a couple like fun bits, but it would it was just so safe. The acting wasn't great. Yeah. Um, you know, like like uh, Mandy and you had said, um, you know, Pam Anderson did a great job despite the film. Um, <laughs> and you know that that I feel like that's the only kind of shiny thing. And you know, even even she was given I mean really nothing to work with for that character. It was a very 
I think one note character, um, even even including the twist at the end of the twin sister mm-hmm. that she played. And like you said, we got a lot more like kind of kind of wild barbed wire Pam Anderson, a little bit more um kind of villain and just more acting from mm-hmm. that character. But I mean, you know, she I think it's she less did... than five minutes of screen time. It's gotta be like two and a half. Yeah. Maybe I mean, she's even there. I mean, honestly though, like, you know, for her to be quote unquote starring in this, I forgot she was in the movie um for long stretches because they would come in the main cop or the the um the psychiatrist uh um Stephen Bauer would would talk to her and it felt like he was just kind of talking at her and her lines might have just been looked down sadly and that's it yeah that's that's pretty much it you're right and she's she's at best a supporting character I mean she gets a fair amount of screen time but it's it's her appearance that is really the drive here even though i will give them credit for she's not done up throughout the almost the entire film you know what i mean like yes she's wearing makeup of course but like it's makeup that's made to look her that's that's made to help her look tired recovering um disheveled hair she still looks stunning uh but you know uh, uh like they the reason she's a jane doe is they find her uh what appears to be a failed suicide attempt at the bottom attempt at the bottom of a cliff um you know she's got marks on her face and stuff not on her body that's very clear uh but you know apparently she landed on her face which i guess is not is not uh is not gonna kill you apparently so yeah i, I will say i i do think the script is weird right I, i'll just say this here not because you're totally right i think that it's very safe but it's it's weird to me because i actually feel like the dialogue and the interaction between the cast members is actually kind of nice and and accurate. Sometimes it feels real in a way, but the problem is, is that it's her and his, you know, his, his, what would you call her, uh, her, her, his sex pal, um, the police woman are, are an interesting couple that have a connection and just decided they don't want to actually have a relationship relationship, quote unquote. I, I get I, that. I mean, I thought it was funny that like you, you had the, the, the cop character, um, Chelsea Fields. Um, she, that character was so like smart, which mm-hmm. I, you know, you're, I'm so used to, you know, dumb cops in a movie, like yeah. just like, just absolute asinine decisions. Um, but you know, like, <laughs> The the therapist, there's some exchange with them near the end where I'm like, oh, like, okay, clearly the the psychiatrist he knows that Pam Anderson's character most likely did this crime and he's trying to help her out, and then the cop brings it up and he's like, oh my god, how could I be so blind? And I'm like, yes, like, <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to yes. be the psychiatrist. You're the genius right. here, right? Yeah, and you kind of were like, okay, is it supposed to be that he's blinded by like his attraction to this woman? Because that that's clear that it could have been played that way and it should have been, and it's kind of intended, but we don't really get that. Like it's kind of a surprise when he seems to like have like essentially take advantage of her because it, she's he finds her outside of his house and well, but then he wakes up and you're like, Oh, I guess it's a dream it was a dream, but then it wasn't a dream, right? And, and then and that well, and he gets walked in on by his cop, you know, um, his sex pal, and she gets upset and leaves. And then, and you're sort of like you you want him to resist the attraction to her because she's like not only is she not 
officially a patient. So his sort of like <laughs> his sort of armchair psychi- psychi- psychiatric treatment of her is unethical. But he's also like clearly taking advantage of someone who has been through incredible hardships and is very vulnerable. And oh so yeah, that- real uh, real Sam Tarly energy. Yes, totally. You like you 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 realize okay, he's not uh he's not the best person. Um and and then you get cuz a lot of the time it seems like he actually is skirting the line and really kind of trying to help her. Like there may be attraction there, but he's specifically not acting on it. And then at that point, he just like is like, "Eh, screw it. Uh I'm going to have sex with this poor poor mentally damaged woman and and we'll go from there." Um so you at that point you don't really like him. I mean, he does you know, he does seem to have actual remorse and really want to protect her, but that doesn't mean you're a great, that doesn't mean you're a great hero. Uh, so once again, Pam's character becomes a victim, right? Like she is a victim of this entire process. Uh, whereas I also didn't really feel for Chelsea Fields' character because, as you said, she talks like she's smart. They treat her like she's smart. And she does some smart things like tailing him or something and, and some things like that. But she also, we don't ever get any indication that she's actually done police work. <laughs> like we just, all we get is I have no leads. Like, well, that's kind of why you're there. Um, also, also, they do this thing. So it's set up at the beginning that she's being sent to help out homicide. And if she does well, she thinks she'll have a position with homicide. And then Stephen Bauer's character says, just make sure you don't like essentially bust anyone's balls, right? For for a very gendered term, right? And the and then the first thing she we see when she's at a crime scene is literally like telling people who are doing their job that they're she tells the videographer who's filming the crime scene that's enough, like get out of here. <laughs> like it just it didn't really you're like, "Wow, maybe you are kind of an ass." Uh like is she like telling the forensics guy like, "Oh, like I think this is like green dust. It's probably blah blah." blah. And he's like uh-huh yeah like, he's like yeah i'll try just like i think it's been six hours he's like i would say nine but let me take a look like you know like she's she's just in the way essentially is what it feels like and and you're just kind of like ah, okay um little try hard maybe so However, she she does get i think the best line in the whole fucking movie at the very end I when do. when when she when you you have oh the the bad twin and the good twin and a fight happens and i can't remember which one was which and so she shoots yep. one of them and you know we presume it was the bad one um and then the you know the love interest you know, the guy turns like oh my god how'd you know yeah and he she's like you know frankly i didn't care because she's yeah. a lover scorned at that point. And she she yeah. shot one of them. And I'm, well, here's I'm the like, thing. At this yeah. point, like, I, I, to quote Trixie and Katya, I, I was like, oh, this went from being a fictional movie to a straight-up police documentary. Like, that sounds totally accurate. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just shoot one of them. Like, anything to just wrap it up and move on. Um, and to have that literally be what the, what the movie hinged on at the end was sort of, it was kind of the most bold, brilliant choice of the film. Um, and I, like I said before, I do like the implication that the good sister has murdered people because it kind of gives her more agency because otherwise she's just a floaty, whatever, um, who's a victim and does nothing through her whole life. And then, but you're like, oh wait, she probably killed these men who caused her situation for her and her sister. Here's the other problem though. It's not a problem, but when you watch them, if you go back to watch it again, which is not really necessary, uh, then you'll notice that the only way there could have been two sisters in the tent when they're taken in the beginning is if when we see close-ups and medium shots of the scrying child, they're two different people, which in a way is clever because it can be 
Um, but it also is misleading in a way that seems unlikely because of the shape of the tent. When you look at it, it just looks like there's only one kid in there. So, you know, that's sort of the, um, I always compare it like you can't lie to the audience and tell them it's a twist, right? Like the bucket list with Morgan Freeman, like, uh, it's like, oh, he's not going to die. He's narrating it at the end. He's like, and that's how I died. And you're like, okay, that's a lie because you're telling me the story. Like, it, you know who did it? Uh, Sunset Boulevard. That's the one. That's the one right there. Uh, and he didn't imply that he was alive. He just said that he was talking. So any who's it's uh, we've, we've talked over a lot of this and it's time to Jeff. Jeff, what were you expecting from Snapdragon 1993? And what did you get? Uh, well, I mean, I, I read the, five out of five barfs review before i watched it so i wasn't expecting much um it made it better though didn't it to expect such horrendousness and then walk into it no i, I don't know i get I, I was having a hard time paying attention to it um honestly because it was a little uh this is the adhd episode of the of, of yeah Classic I, I mean Films I, podcast, it was like way, it was like uh, i had already gotten a bad review and then like so i had already kind of written it off in my head and then it it didn't uh it never hooked me. I, I think this is, uh, I think that for me, this is the failure of the film. This is not really much of a thriller. Um, sure. I don't think there, you don't actually care. Like they, they never really like create any sense of like uh, tension or dread or they, they never, they never build any of these types of things. Like, I, I think like, you know, maybe one of the ways they could have fixed is they could have like recut the film and given us information in different orders um mm -hmm. i think the uh kind of like the twist ending at the end you know was maybe not that interesting um you know it feels a little bit like the soap opera's playbook you know you got her character with amnesia and then they have like a you know an evil twin it's mm -hmm. you know it's it, it i just... agree does she have amnesia though i think oh, she doesn't well yeah i mean it, it was used as a plot device correct on and, correct yeah, yeah but the you know what I mean? It's just like um, it's cliche after cliche. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, um, I I feel like you could have maybe provided information in a different order that uh, maybe uh, you know you you start out the film with a bunch of murders, uh, kind of uh, leave your your viewer with like you know a little trepidation, uh, and then you know he he meets this woman and you know start falling in love you, you had to like get some point where they're like you're like afraid that he's gonna die uh mm -hmm. he's never I, at I, risk i don't, in the whole I don't movie. know like i don't know if you, like i never got any sense that any character in any scene was in danger um you know well, and only so, one like, care only one character we'd actually met before died yeah the 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 doctor who treated her originally and he doesn't come across you know there was a scene i really liked with him uh matt mccoy's character it's when after essentially they're having a drink he and steven bauer's character are having a drink and he's like i think you should go after felicity like you need a new relationship she you could make her whatever you want she doesn't even know who she is which is a horrible disturbing thing to say yeah, and and the lead character to his credit is like really like mega stepford wife for myself essentially and you're like you're like man this doctor is creepy right but then we get the scene after where he steven bauer goes back to him it's during the day and he's like hey i need to see her file and they're like i can't she's that's 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 private protected information and he's like presses him and he goes you know the thing last night was a joke you you got to understand i'm not giving you that file and that was like oh he just has a disgusting sense of humor but at least he has ethics which was kind of surprising um 
And I did like the way that played because it actually caught me the same way it caught. Maybe it's where, where, where poor writing actually pays off in an unexpected way. I, like the lead, did not expect that to be the reaction. Uh, I thought he would just be like, yeah, sure. Stop by the office. We'll go over it. You know, I'll have yeah. some more vodka. Yeah. I so mean, that, was there, were, there were some like clever lines and stuff like, you know, the, the writers have had some wit to them. Uh, mm. I just think that they just constructed this thing all wrong. Um, sure to like to to build tension and actually they could have it. they could have used devices to make the trite material a little more engaging yeah well i mean there's like. like you know i mean there's like a trope like if you're like watch any like you know procedural like every time they have a serial uh -huh. killer somehow like the serial killers like you know targeting one of the officers or the or, or like you know so, somebody on the cast is like in imminent danger of the serial killer and it's like it's repetitive and it's uh you know if you're really paying attention, it's a little lame, but also like you kind of have to do it because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, like if you don't, um, if you don't put your characters in danger, at least occasionally it, it you're, you, you're with that type of kind of mystery. Uh, there's, yeah. there's no tension, there's no thrill to it. And you've just, uh, you've, you've, you basically missed the whole point of like, like the genre that you're doing. So um, Agree. I think I think that that's that was the 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 flavor that was missing here is like it, somebody on our main cast needed to feel like they were a target at some point in this and make us you know care. So so this is interesting. The way, when we talk about these movies, I always like to look at the writers specifically and see sort of what like what they've done. Sure, exactly. Because I think it gives us some insight into into the movie itself. And first, we have a novelist uh, who Gene Church, who this was the last movie he wrote, he only wrote, uh, he wrote an episode before this of a TV show, and then he wrote this movie. But before that, he had written a movie that was turned into a film called uh, Circle of Power, also known as Brainwash. And it's a it's a movie about um, husbands uh, with wives that they, they, they get in a, a reunion every, I guess, year. Uh, and uh, they, it's a weird, they're all trying to find out this secret and it gets to be disturbing. They're all trying these different methods to get the secret out of him. It's, it's a weird thing, but it was a novel and it was, and that sort of brought him in, but Snapdragon seemed to end his film career. Like this was it. Uh, but then the other, the co-writer was, uh, Terry Trias, who she wrote a, another erotic thriller before this film, but then she wrote quite a few uh, movies or and TV shows rather. She worked on uh, Silk Stockings, which makes sense because that's sort of the the sexy TNT, you know, vibe. Uh, she wrote episodes of The Pretenders and Na of The Pretender and Nash Bridges, um, and then she wrote uh, several episodes of Felicity. And she's actually still, I believe, writing shorts. So she actually went on to have a pretty successful TV career. So I would hazard to say that the vibe of this movie is I, I would heavily give to her just for lack of information on um, Jean Church's really writing style, because she ended up writing a lot of things that are, I would say, yeah, I could see that being related to this film Pacific blue. She also interesting for the cult horror fans among us, which there are many was in so many 80 genre movies as an actress. She played Dr. Hubbard in the nest about the giant cockroaches. She uh, played Kamasardi in Deathstalker and the warriors from hell, AKA Deathstalker three, I believe the terror within the Roger Corman production. She was Linda. She um, was in a ton of alien nation movies. Cause she played Kathy Frankel. 
um, Nightmare on the 13th Floor. She's the computer voice in Franks and Unbound, which, spoiler alert, we will probably talk about in the future on this pod. She is quite quite a lot of, of genre movies, including House 4, which is kind of a, a favorite for Full Moon-esque movie buffs. Uh, so she's she's had a very strong acting career, and this movie did not end her writing career. It actually pretty much started it. I will say, of all the things that this this movie, that even if you hate this movie, uh, I know Mandy really didn't like this movie, even if you hate it, this movie does one thing, it proves one thing, like, so completely and so accurately that I think it deserves credit. It proves that Stephen Bauer does not know how to jog. There is one scene in this movie where he's supposed to be jogging alongside Chelsea Field and they're talking and she is jogging and having a conversation and he exhibits the most, and I mean, I think most people would agree he's a good looking guy, which is how he got his start. He, his arms, it was like the Meryl Streep treatment of the anchorman. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like his arms are everywhere. They're in front of him, like a T-Rex at one point. They're behind him. Like he's doing the chicken dance and the screen froze. They're in two different positions. He's just all over the place. And it was not since, not since, uh, Birdemic, Shock and Awe, have I, and Rod with his, uh, weird walking while they're filming him. Have I seen something so awkward? It physically distracted me i had to stand up and lean in to see if there was going to be like him end the scene with like sorry there's a bee in my shirt or something like it was so flipping weird did anybody else notice that yeah i mean i i was watching that scene to try and figure out if it was like a green screen and they were on a treadmill together because it's so weird both of them both of them like i don't know if they've ever fucking walked before like it and and i don't (laughs) i don't know how like i'm gonna blame that entirely on the director i don't know how you watch that as a director (laughs) and you say hey 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 stop 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 let's all practice walking for five minutes okay (laughs) run scene again like (laughs) yeah yeah, totally. I, I agree. I was actually thinking, I'm like, wouldn't, if you want, because it is hard to have an actual conversation for film and actually be jogging, right? One, you have to have camera crews tracking him, so you probably have to have a, a go like a, a golf cart or something, or because nobody's going to make, well, not for this movie, are they going to make a, a track system that long? Um, but so why don't you just have them jog into the scene, and one of them, probably him, since he's not the active police officer, be like, I need a break, hold on, hold on. Like, then they have a panty conversation standing still, which then you can punctuate with her getting the final word in and jogging off, and he has to start up and go after. You could just, that's, as you said, that's directing. That's directing know-how. You, you, you looked at that, and you said, good enough, instead of, we can do that better with very little effort. Uh, and we've all been there. For every every creative person, every knocker, anytime you've had a job, we've all had that good enough moment. But this yeah. one stood out pretty hard. I mean, like the uh, jogging didn't have like a meaningful impact no. on the story. So yeah, mm-hmm. letting it get in the way of the storytelling is really just stupid. Like, yeah, why would you do that? Well, and also, like I said, I give the film credit for not really like relying on its sex appeal which as an erotic thriller you know production and distribution was like can you add more nudity please um and or something they really could have amped it up in this movie like they could have it's the kind of movie where it could have been like she runs off and she's like oh you need some motivation and takes her top off and then goes jogging and he chases after her. like you could have done so many things to amp that up and it would have probably made this film much more memorable um 
but that that wasn't really the aim they they thought they had it and they i do think that the plot itself is not original but it is logical right like the idea of this psychiatrist thinking he knows the killer and trying to find trying to convince himself that she's not a killer because he's in love with her that's it's not that it hasn't been done but that is something you can write a compelling plot around um and i except for one thing i'll say that's nice except for the repeated use of the phrase oriental they never it doesn't feel like they aggressively insult asian people the way so many films of the 90s that would have a similar plot did like i watched recently um kinjite i believe it was with charles bronson because i'm a charles bronson fan and that movie is straight up disgusting in every single way towards people of color and women and sex trafficking victims and sex workers it's just like they treated it with it's not like they even just used it as like a a a like shock value they treated it as though everyone is scum and deserves to be treated miserably i will say though um <laughs> that you have every single asian person in this film is involved in sex work in, in sex some way even even the one non-person that is um, not a non-person, but like non-sex worker person that is a librarian. And as soon as the <laughs> fucking detective goes to talk to her, she's like, oh my God, of course, my mother was sex trafficked, like all Asian people. And you're just like, right. whoa. like It's the most like misguided attempt to try. Yeah. And, to try and... Now, they did have one, one Asian person who is completely... Um, who is com who seems to be completely innocent on all counts and it is well, he doesn't even get a line he's a flower salesman oh, and yeah. he's murdered <laughs> by the sister because he doesn't want her because she's a friend of of pamela anderson's felicity character um and and he just you know he gets to have sex and which by the way i thought it was also as jeff you mentioned police procedural i would clearly think even if they don't have experience writing it, they have read and watched a lot of police procedurals because they have that moment where they're discussing the Stephen Bauer um, and, and Chelsea's character are discussing the murders. And they're like, interestingly, uh, the coroner decided that they must have ejaculated post-mortem. And you're like, which is an interesting <laughs> twist, has nothing to do with anything. Uh, but you know, interesting moment, and the way they talked about it was actually I kind didn't of even like, "No, you that could happen." <laughs> that, yeah, I don't know. Like, that line did stand out. Yeah, yes, it did. Scene. Like that yeah. scene actually kind of felt realistic. Like, but again, I think what we're kind of getting at is this movie and Greg said I take off. This movie uh, feels like a TV show, even though there's yeah. a little nudity. Like it feels like that kind of like like the the precursor to NCIS and every single, you know, I think Bones is probably a little more clever, but it's it's this kind of vibe. Um so we'll move on to recommendations. I don't know that there's really a whole lot to talk about here. Uh I think if you like that kind of thing or if you just if you if you're used to watching like 90s erotic thrillers, you know, like a uh, Point of No Return, uh, stuff like that, you you'll enjoy this movie. I think, as Jeff said, there are nuggets of dialogue specifically um, that are are decent. We didn't. I mentioned it because Mandy mentioned it in her notes. Uh, we didn't talk about specifically. It is the most ridiculous garbage scene I in the movie is the flower shop scene because she's the state has helped her get job in a flower shop. We also learned that someone taught her how to organize flowers during her time in in the sex trade, and so she's in there. She has given Stephen Bauer's character a Snapdragon a flower 
And he walks in to see her and essentially ask her on a date to see her. And as he's walking towards her through the flower shop, he takes a Snapdragon out of one of the sale contain the containers for sale and walks up to her and goes and hands it to her and goes, This is for you. And they don't address the fact that that is borderline psychotic behavior. Like, if someone worked at a gas station, I wouldn't like run $12. Yeah, I wouldn't like walk up and pick up like a power bar and be like, this is for you. That does not work. That is not sexy. That is not cute. And maybe it could have been cute. Like she could have been like, um, it's like, cool. Do I get to pay for it too? Like it could have been cute, but instead just zero, zero, uh, zero addressing on that moment. Um, strange, strange, strange moment. Uh, or he could have said, I actually bought this one before you came. Anything could have been done, but they didn't. And so it's just weird. It's almost like it almost felt incredibly self-aware to the point where the movie is like, we know this scene doesn't really matter. It's just to get them on the beach. Here's a flower. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Um, but I'm going to recommend this movie if it sounds like your deal. Now, if you're a big Pamela Anderson fan, I totally, you have to watch this movie. It's the first time she actually gets to deliver lines to a camera in a theat in a in a feature length film and she it's also nice to see her uh without the playboy makeup per se especially now as she's making her interview rounds for her new uh her new biography and we get to see her with more uh i'm not gonna say human but more regular person makeup without the extreme glam makeup and uh it's nice and i think she does a good job i think she's right up top with the best cast members in the movie uh again sort of like barbed wire she's not really given heavy duty material to work with but i think she does well with what she has and i can see how you know beyond her look she would have been cast for other things i think that as as a culture especially in the 90s but still now when people are beautiful we can't really tolerate that they do more than one thing well and being beautiful is considered a thing so when someone's beautiful we assume they have to be stupid or incapable and they get pigeonholed in that so someone like pamela anderson who clearly isn't stupid she's managed a very successful career uh and we in the media have really done her a disservice i think because for the first role a lot of people had much worse worse worst jobs on their first role who are actually pretty good now so there's that but if any of that sounds interesting watch snapdragon if for example you want something with a lot of action or tension as jeff said there's no tension in this movie that's not it you're kind of watching it to see it's a casual i'm making dinner um also watching an episode of like ncis miami right like it's it's not yes there are some boobies but that's about that's about as far as it goes Jeff, would you recommend Snapdragon from 1993? If so, why and to who? All right. I, I, I'm going to say no. And just for one unforgivable thing that I haven't <laughs> mentioned yet, I left it for the end here. So <laughs> all of the sex scenes had like the exact same blocking. Like Correct. you could you could literally shot them all back to back with the exact same. Like mm -hmm. they might have, they probably did. Like you just honest. bring in another comforter, shoot the next scene. Do we need to change yep. the actor? You know, yep. I mean, it was like, it was like yep. that. And, and I get th that some of it was plot related. If you're going to kill somebody, you probably want to be on top of just, right. you know, just for, you know, in case somebody's looking to do that, uh, that's listening to the pod. That's a good suggestion. Uh, you know, don't kill them when they're on top of you, you know, <laughs> yeah. 
especially if they're they're heavy. Especially, yeah, especially in this movie. I mean, Pamela Anderson must be a hundred pounds, very, very thin and small in this in this particular time period. So, joking aside, you don't have to do the exact same shot for every single one. You can you can vary it. You can right. come up with some ideas, like maybe she murders somebody. Well, you know, like you know, <laughs> they're on the edge of the bed, and she comes up behind them, and like you know puts her arms around him and then, you know, then murders them with a thing. You know, there's like a million things you could do. Like you don't have to do the exact same shot every single time. Um, and for, for me, that's just unforgivable. It's just lazy. Like, you know, like, could you have just had like a, like a sit down, like the writers and like the director and like, you know, hash out some ideas, like some brainstorm, put some things up on a whiteboard. Like here's some ideas on how to do these scenes uh yeah them the exact same is just that's just so there is so there is some interesting there is some interesting um things to think about in this right because one it's very clear that uh they especially to be aired on certain it's a little different now but certain um certain during certain time periods of the day and also on certain levels of television production right you can have some nudity but you can't have a certain amount and you can't show certain things like full frontal nudity essentially and especially you can't show penetration or anything obviously then it it moves into the triple x uh, adult film category um this movie was her was pamela anderson's first feature film she also filmed directly after this raw justice from 1994 and it was um she had an apparently really horrendous time filming the sex scenes in Raw Justice. Um, this is a quote from her. Uh, I was thrown around. I was scratched. I was bruised. I was bitten. I cried, went home and called my mother. And she actually ended up suing the production company um, of, of that and won. Uh, their defense essentially boiled down to, well, she did other movies that were way worse sex scenes. And that does <laughs> not... Right. Yeah. Right. Can yeah. you believe that? And unfortunately, wow. I can believe it. Right. Um. So it's it's nice that she won. It's terrible. She had to go through that. But I wonder, too, from a from the perspective of a woman, essentially, is the only one that actually has to be nude in these scenes. Um, yeah. Usually the men are wearing something. They uh, it would be the most it would be the easiest to manage from like a uh intimacy coordinator now i don't think they had intimacy coordinators on these films I, that's a relatively contemporary uh sure. designation but it does make me think that probably that had something to do with it they're like look i don't even want to deal with any of this other shit um also but but i i agree with you because it stands out so much because there are like five or six sex scenes between and they're either all, they're all they're 100% identical and yeah. as i said um chelsea fields is is not she's not nude you know she's usually in like a bra and shorts or something uh in in her sex scenes with steven bauer they really could have been done much there's no and there's no plot device there that like no there was like nothing going yeah so like yeah, yeah. it was it was it was an interesting and I, I agree with you, especially because especially since this film has been re-released in, in HD and it does look pretty good uh, from a technical standpoint. Uh, the main draw is, of course, Pamela Anderson. You know, she became very famous after this um, because of Playboy and, and other TV appearances and things. And I people will be expecting much more uh, and they they don't get a lot again. 
she's beautiful yes she is topless um there's she shows the most skin in that particular one position that they show the sex scenes uh but it's it's pretty unimaginative i think yeah. would be the appropriate way and i also noticed that the it's not just that the positioning is the same the camera is is identical from the identical direction oh, so yeah, you're all, yeah, you're you're like your your note that except for maybe the one where she's fully nude and having sex with Stephen Bauer, like that that might have been a little bit behind them, but otherwise it is always um camera facing them from the right side behind them, always identical. It does yeah. make you think that it's the same set and they just redressed it each time, which hey, it probably is. So yeah. but they could have hidden that a little more. <laughs> yeah, it I mean it just like puts like that's I feel like especially with that type of film, like that's like if if that's like kind of like one of your draws or like one of the things mm -hmm. that you think is like you're, you're you know it's kind of like your um the 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 shiny object right like it's it's right. the thing that that you think is special uh, right that that uh, has gotten all these people together is this uh is these scenes. it's it's like, the main course in a way yeah. It. Yeah, right. you know what I mean? It's it like yeah. put some effort in, like put some thought well, into it. And it uh, it really does seem like the it seems like somebody, either the director or um uh, perhaps I don't know. I really don't know who, but it feels like they they didn't even it feels like a TV edit and that the sex scenes are also quite brief. Like a lot of times, especially when you get into like 95, 96 era like Cinemax erotic thriller territory. You see them writhing for minutes on end with like the the transition scenes. You know they blend into the next, and then and there's close ups of mouths, and there's ooh ah, and then there's the jazz music, and we don't get that. We get the one static shot, then we usually get the exact same over the shoulder of her while he's right, you know, in 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 pleasure and then dying, and and that's it. And it's repeated as you said, and we we literally I don't think a single sex scene lasts more than. I mean, 30 seconds would be pushing it. Um, I think it's less than that. And for an erotic thriller, that's quite unusual. And it makes you feel like someone was like giving the middle finger to distribution where they were like, uh, it was like, okay, we'll add two more sex scenes. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah. Yeah, everyone is <laughs> everyone is fully clothed and they're 12 seconds long. Uh, yeah. So interesting. I, 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 I agree. I agree with you on that. Uh, okay. Well, that has been this episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast. Uh, I have very much enjoyed talking about Pamela Anderson's early career, uh, as I hope you all have enjoyed listening. Thank you to Greg and Jeffrey Tucker and Mandy, who joined us last week and gave us notes. Thank you, listeners, for supporting Cult and Classic Films Podcast. We want to hear from you. Write us at Colton Classic uh, at Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com or info at coltonclassicfilms.com. Tell us what you think of the pod. If there's anything you'd like us to do differently, if there's anything you, if you have a film you want us to talk about, if you made a movie that you want us to talk about, if you made a movie that you want us to rip apart, if you made a movie that we uh, have ripped apart, send something in. Let us know how you think we're doing. And please go to coltonclassicfilms.com, click on the newsletter link, and sign up because that is coming soon and it's got lots of fun stuff. And we have got some big announcements in the pipe for the next few months of 2023. Thank you all so much to play us out as always. Oh, almost forgot. Like and subscribe on our YouTube, Colton Classic uh, Podcast, and go to our Instagram and follow us, Colton Classic Films. Thank you so much. To play us out as always is the Chud with All About Evil. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.